Hello there, this is Jessica O'Reilly here. I am a sex and relationship expert and my focus is sexual compatibility because it is essential to a lasting, happy, hot relationship. And today, we're going to be talking about a series of studies that hone in on how to be sexually compatible. This is the science of it, folks. And this study is a reminder, it's evidence that sexual compatibility is something you create. It's not something you find in a partner because I always hear people making excuses that, oh, the issue is that we're not compatible. Well, then become compatible. Of course, there are some people with whom it's easier to be compatible for you specifically, but you can create compatibility and I see it happen every day. Now, this new research study out of the University of Toronto, my alma mater, looked at two core beliefs, which they called sexpectations. And so these two core beliefs are sexual destiny and sexual growth. Sexual destiny refers to the belief that you simply find a compatible partner. It's a matter of fate. And if you don't find one, you are out of luck. And hmm, you already know what I think of that. And sexual growth refers to the belief that relationships take work, that you have to put in time and effort. Now, across six studies, these researchers, and we're going to speak to the lead researcher in just a moment, across six studies, they found that those who are higher in sexual growth beliefs, those who think that sex takes work, are more satisfied in their sex lives and happier in their overall relationships. On the other hand, those who are higher in the sexual destiny beliefs, those who think that sex comes from finding the right partner, they experience poorer relationship quality, especially when they, when they run into sexual issues, which of course are inevitable. Now I have Jessica Maxwell with me here. She is the lead author of this research and a PhD candidate at the University of Toronto. Hi there, Jessica. Hi, thanks so much for having me on the show. I'm a fan of the show. so We're really happy to have you. So, sexual beliefs. Uh, I guess everybody wonders, with people like you and people like me, how did you get into this line of work to begin with? Right. Um, it's a, I guess it just started um, because I've always been really interested in pop culture. Um, and, you know, I, I used to read Cosmo growing up. Um, and then when I was in university taking a human sexuality class, um, I realized sort of how wrong I had been about my beliefs about sex. Um, and so, yeah, I got into studying sexuality. And um, I got in particular into this line of work just by talking to people um, about sex and kind of seeing sex on shows like Sex in the City. Um, and I realized that oftentimes the beliefs that people have are very different from what sex researchers are advocating for, you know? So um, I really wanted to look at how there's like a disconnect between what most people believe about sex and what uh, the research is saying. Right. And I saw your Science of Relationships column where you talk about Samantha from Sex in the City and Charlotte from Sex in the City. And you say that Samantha's one of those sexual destiny people and Charlotte's one of the sexual growth people. Was, was Sex in the City the inspiration for this study? 
<laughs> it definitely played a big role in inspiring me, like, which is somewhat embarrassing to admit, but everyone loves sex in the city. Um, and I think it just, uh, I was watching one of the episodes and it just became really clear to me that they have such different beliefs about sex. You know, we have Samantha who's like, if he's not going to bed, dump him. Um, and then you have Charlotte who, you know, is trying like her, her hardest to, to make sex work with Trey, even, even when it ultimately didn't. Um, so yeah, it definitely made me realize that there wasn't really any research about the Samantha and the Charlottes out there. Right. And so is Samantha on to something here or is she way off base? If I go out on a date and I have sex with someone and it's really awful, should I give up right away? I don't think so. Um, definitely not. So I think Samantha is a little bit skewed in her beliefs, um, especially based on what our research found. So our research would say that Samantha then um, might might be worse off in the long run. Um, like I think there's some limits to this though, right? Like if, if you have... Um, sex with someone a few times and it's clear that their interests are completely different from yours um, and like it's a deal breaker then then maybe um, but I think like in general that that kind of belief that the sex needs to be good right away is um, is just not going to be good uh, down the line you know I think it's it's hard to have great sex the first time for a lot of couples absolutely and it can be hard to have great sex the 500th time so you've got to yeah. put some energy into it now i love that sex in the city was your was part of your inspiration because i like the marrying of pop culture with empirical evidence with research because it, you i think you can reconcile those two and what i love about pop culture is that to some degree we all consume it and so it helps us to reach a wider audience so i commend you for that now I want to ask you about sexual growth versus sexual destiny. And I know that your research says that there is a good degree of overlap, but how do you determine if you're a believer in sexual growth or sexual destiny? Yeah. So um, to save you reading the long paper, if someone just wants to know how, like the easy way, how can you figure out if you're sexual destiny or sexual growth? I think it boils down to if you agree with a statement like in a long-term relationship, it requires effort and maintenance to have satisfying sex, then you're a sexual growth believer. So if you're like, yes, sex takes effort and work, then you're more sex growth. Um, but if you're someone who's more all about the passion and initial chemistry, then you're more of a sexual destiny believer. So if you um, endorse a statement like, oh, like if a couple has bad sex, it means um, their relationship is destined to fail, then you're more of a sexual destiny believer. So it's like if your effort and growth or effort and work, your growth, and if you're more about the passion and initial chemistry, then you're more a uh, sex destiny believer. Okay, interesting, because we talk about chemistry all the time. We talk about chemistry like it's this magical unicorn that runs between two souls. <laughs> To create something, but what is what is chemistry? Yeah, that's a great question because that's kind of an area where there isn't actually much research on it. So I don't think um, we as like relationships and sexuality researchers have a good understanding of what chemistry is. Um, and I think that's part of the problem, right? Because it's something that people talk about is so critical, but um, my definition of chemistry might be quite different from, from someone else's. So I think we don't really have a good sense of what chemistry is. So it almost to me seems like sometimes people use that as a bit of a cop out, right? Like, oh, well, we didn't have chemistry. It's like, okay, well, what did you mean by that? Did you mean you had some different sexual interests that you could work to improve? Or did you mean you weren't sexually attracted? Um, so I think it's a big problem that we don't really know what chemistry is because everyone seems to value it so highly. I think it's interesting that you call it a cop out because I yeah. we certainly use the word chemistry to get out of a second date. It, basically, if we're not attracted to someone or if they don't check one of our boxes, we just say, oh, there was no chemistry. 
And I think we're writing off people far too quickly, especially these days where, you know, you can go and find 15 more dates in a matter of minutes. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's just kind of a way to be like, oh, well, it wasn't super easy right away and I wasn't feeling those butterflies. So like, oh, I'm just going to not have a second date with them. Um, And I don't think that's always a problem, but I think if that becomes a pattern, you know, you're never wanting to work through your chemistry. You're just kind of being like, oh no, it's, it's just not there. Um, And that's sort of a very sexual destiny type idea that, that you either have chemistry or you don't. Right. As opposed to being able to cultivate chemistry and those, you know, those butterflies, I always think about those butterflies because I've been with my partner a very long time and I certainly miss those butterflies, but I have to remind myself that those butterflies were just my nerves. That's all it was. Exactly. It wasn't that this guy is the only guy in the world for me. I mean, I, I, he's all I want. He's amazing, but I tell him all the time and I guess I'm a, I'm a romance crusher that it's, (laughs) not a matter of soulmates. So tell us a little bit about how the soulmate myth is, first of all, it's so pervasive. So why is it there? And uh, why is it problematic? Yeah, that's a great, a great point. So I think the soulmate idea, like, you know, can be traced back like hundreds of years with like myths, um, starting about romance and things like that. And so I think over time, we've just all gotten so used to this. And, and the media kind of keeps, you know, like shoving this idea down our throat about like, having a soulmate and ha- having the one or an ideal partner. Um, but like you said, like, it's not, it's not really the best way to approach relationships. So you can still be madly in love with someone, but not think that they're the only one you could ever be with. Um, And I think what's really dangerous about the soulmate idea is that um, we have this vision that that person should be perfect and shouldn't have flaws, right? Or like, oh, well, clearly they're not my soulmate if they are really into this sexual activity, but I'm not. Um, And so I think just sort of holding that idea of a soulmate makes um, you less willing to sort of... um, accept differences with your romantic partner. Um, But I think, yeah, exactly. It's something that we keep seeing and um, something that individuals are really drawn towards. And that's very much of a sexual destiny idea or like a Samantha idea of having this idea of like the one who's going to be the perfect partner. Like we know no one's going to be perfect. Right. And so what do we do? Because even... So I I certainly believe in sexual growth. I believe that relationships take work. I don't think that you stay in a long-term relationship happily unless you realize that. But you have your moments where you believe that, that this is the only person for you and life could not go on without them. So how do we get over the soulmate myth? How do we become sexual growth believers? Yeah, so um, I'm hoping it's something that's that's easy to change in people. Um, so we have some evidence in one of our studies that just by giving people a lot of information about what sexual growth beliefs are and the benefits of them, that that helped increase people's growth beliefs. So um, the listeners of this podcast, just by hearing how it's so important to, to work on sex, um, should hopefully increase their beliefs over time in sexual growth. Um, but I think at the same time, while you're trying to increase your your growth beliefs, it's important to also sort of try to decrease your soulmate ideas. Um, and I think that sort of um, reducing your consumption of romantic media, um, but I'm guilty of this. I love The Bachelor. I watch it all the time. Um, so I think if you still want to watch like those rom-coms and The Bachelor, just always constantly be reminding yourself that this isn't real. It's not a realistic portrayal of love. Um and hopefully that can help you sort of realize um, 
that it's not reality. And I think a lot of shows are very guilty of portraying like perfect sex, right? Because that's another part of the sexual destiny idea. This idea that like sex should just come easy and, and you know, it should just be right away. Both partners are aroused and, and they're really into sex and it goes great. Um, and that's not a reality as well. At the same time, right? They roll over like, ah. Exactly, exactly. The simultaneous orgasms is one of the, yeah, the biggest uh, myths in, that, the, that Hollywood portrays. So yeah, so, knowing that that's not how most couples are having sex, I think is, is really important. Okay, so when I think of your research, I think about, um, for instance, people who start as friends and don't really have that so-called spark to begin with. I'm wondering, can you move from friends to lovers? Because your research to me suggests that you can. And do you see this in your research? Do you see people moving from being friends to being life partners? That's a great question. I haven't in this line of work necessarily looked at like, you know, we're sexual growth believers, um, friends first, but I think I should definitely look into that. But um, in general, I think you're definitely onto something. I think that um, there's a lot of research on sort of friends going to, let's say, friends with benefits, and then progressing into romantic relationships. Um, so, you know, like about 20% of friends with benefits will eventually turn into a romantic relationship. So, yeah, which is like, it's it's a substantial number. Um, and I think you're exactly right that like, in those cases, I think it would have to be more of a growth influence going on this idea that, you know, you were friends first, but now you might need to work on the passion. Um so I think that that would be um, definitely something that would make sense to me that the that they would be higher in sexual growth. Okay, and you know one of the biggest challenges that I run into, and I think anybody working in the field runs into, is that people, after a number of years in a relationship, especially after having kids, because kids kill the boner, for <laughs> for all genders, um, they they run into a loss of interest in sex, and they have this fear that they can't get it back. And this research or these findings with sexual growth tell me that they can. Can you speak to that a little bit? Can you get it back? I'm not saying it's going to be the same as it was in the beginning, but it's not, you know, if you don't use it, you lose it. Exactly. Yes, that's exactly right. So it's, you know, I think uh, you put it great, like it might not go back to necessarily exactly how your relationship was before. But um, these dry spells, they're very normal. And they're something you can work to overcome. Um, and so I think that's one of the most important things is that some people, um, especially people more in sex destiny, think that the sex is always going to be great. Whereas we know, like we know things like having two kids is going to make the, you know, the sex satisfaction often goes down and you're having more fights with your partner. So it's sort of just like an inevitable part of a relationship. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean you're doomed. Um, so I think that's what in one of our studies, we particularly looked at um, parents who had just had their first child. So the, the kid was less than a year old. Um, and we found that especially in this sample, the benefits of sexual growth were really important for both partners. Um, so I think that's a, a case where it's showing that like even when your sex life is not so great and you're having that that. Um, maybe like a little bit of a dry spell, if you believe that you can work through it and work to overcome it, um, then both you and your partner are going to be more satisfied. Um, so it's more those destiny believers who are worried that they can't overcome it, who feel worse about their relationship. Um, but there's so many instances of long-term couples being able to reignite the passion, right? So even just doing things like new activities. Yeah, there's so many ways to do it. I mean, if you expect it to be a, a 10 out of 10 every time, you're in big trouble. I mean, here's the thing. I think the problem is we lie about sex. Hollywood lies about sex. Mainstream media lies about sex. 
we personally lie about sex. And I think we need to start talking about how bad sex can be too. Exactly. Um, like, amen. Yes. <laughs> if we knew that sometimes our neighbors are having bad sex, our friends are having bad sex, our friends who are sexologists and sex researchers are having bad sex. We're all having bad sex sometimes. We can really disentangle having bad sex or having a rut from relationship quality. Exactly. And I think you're you're right that we need to have more open discussions about sex because I think we're all, like you're saying, like assuming that our, our neighbors are having this like really hot sex like five times a week um, when we know it's just the data is not supporting that. That's not, no one's having that good of sex. And so I think when we start to talk to our friends more openly about sex, um, we'll start to realize how normal it is to have these challenges. And I think that's actually another way that people can reduce their sexual destiny ideas just by realizing, hey, it's normal. We're all sort of going through these problem problems sometimes or we're working through them and it's it's not so easy for everyone, you know? Okay, great. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for being with us and I'd love to have you back another time because I know you do a bunch of very interesting research. Perfect. Thanks so much. Thanks. Have a good one. You too. Folks, I've been saying this for a long time. I got another Jessica, another Jessica sex researcher to back me up. Your belief in soulmates and sexual destiny is holding you back. It's holding you back from finding love. You go on a date and they ordered, I don't know, capers and your soulmate can't possibly like capers because you don't like capers, so you don't go on a second date. Now I may be exaggerating here, but looking for perfection is part of the soulmate belief and it's holding you back. It's holding you back from growing as a person and changing. And you have to change. If you wanna stay with one partner forever, you have got to change. I always hear people complain, oh, my partner changed. Uh, yeah, they changed. You want your partner to change. You can't stay the same and be exciting. If my partner was the same as he was 10 years ago, I'd be bored out of my mind. I expect change. The belief in soulmates is also holding you back, obviously, in your sex life. Oh, you don't like, you don't feel the passion you once felt. You don't want to tear your partner's clothes off as they walk in the door. You don't want to jump their bones after a long day of work and cooking dinner and doing dish and dishes and bathing the kids and doing laundry and reading some boring children's book for the 81st time. No kidding, you don't want to jump their bones. You cannot expect the same passion you felt on your fifth date when you've been together for 500 or 5,000 days. And that's because the science is telling us sex takes work. Passion in long-term relationships takes work. You have to work on your sexual growth if you want to stay with one partner for an extended period of time and be sexually compatible. Now, I really liked a lot of Jessica's advice around consuming popular media to reduce your sexual growth beliefs. Just talking to your friends about real sex makes the difference. And I have a couple more tips for how you can grow sexually. Number one, how to grow sexually, grow on your own. Try new things. Masturbate in a different position, in a different room, in a different way. I know you're very good at it. You're very fast. You go to the first landing page on YouPorn, whatever it is, do it differently. Just once, see how it changes it. And try new things outside of the bedroom too. I find that people, especially people in their 30s and under, 
make a lot of self-proclamations like, oh, I can't do that or I'm not into that. I'm a control freak. And self-proclamations are the death of you. They hold you back from change. You're not a control freak. You've chosen to like control. You don't have to be a control freak. You can let things go a little bit at a time. Another way to grow on your own is just to do things on your own. Don't depend on your partner. It's holiday season and if you get an invite to a party, you don't need to check with your partner first. You decide if you want to go and then you stick to it. If your partner doesn't want to go or is busy, go on your own. Single people are so much braver in this respect. I know if I message one of my single friends for dinner, I'm going to get a response yes or no. There's no kind of wavering, let me see if that's okay. Maybe I'm going to stay home and do something exciting like watch TV. Get out there, married and partnered people. Be like your single friends. So grow on your own, number one. And number two, grow with your partner sexually. Every month, try something new. Just one simple thing. Maybe it's a new toy, a new lube, a new position, a new location, a new technique. I've got lots on the blog and on the Astroglide blog. Maybe you watch a, a porn clip. Uh, maybe you try a webcam site. I don't know if you know these adult webcam sites, but there's some very interesting stuff there to try on your own or with your partner. And, you know, talk about a fantasy that makes you uncomfortable. Talk about a fantasy that ruins the sex session. That's okay, you know. You can do things in bed that are bad for the immediate sex, but in the long term are good for your sex life. So sometimes you're going to talk about a fantasy and you're going to totally butcher it or it's going to make you uncomfortable or one of you is going to get insecure and you're not going to be able to finish and that's fine, okay? It is not the last time you'll ever have sex. You'll do it again tomorrow or the next day or the next week. And then finally, if, if you want to grow sexually, you got to have a plan, man. You got to have a sex plan. And so I have a couple of questions I'd want you to answer with your partner to create a preliminary sex plan. This isn't like by 2018, we will do X, Y, and Z. I'm just talking about a plan that helps you to better understand yourself sexually. The reason you can't really teach your partner about yourself sexually is because most of us don't take the time to really understand our sexual identities, especially people who are hetero, cisgender, because we have this privilege of not having to explain ourselves to people all the time. So number one, create a sex plan and answer a few questions. Why does sex matter to you? Figure it out. How often do you want it? Very simple. What do you need from your partner in order to get in the mood? That's a tough one. How do you want to feel during sex and how do you want to feel after sex? And then maybe what's one new thing you'd like to try? So write down your answers to these questions and maybe you only answer one at a time and on date night, you just discuss it, all right? Instead of talking about the hockey practice you're gonna get up for in the morning or whatever it is you're doing, answer one of these questions. Why does sex matter to you? When I think about why sex matters to me, my answer to that question is really different today than it was two years ago or 10 years ago and different than it will be in two years. So these are interesting, rich, meaningful conversations that will also reignite the passion. And uh, when I say, what's one new thing you'd like to try with your partner? Hey, if you're one of those people with a penis, don't just say anal, all right? I know, oh, anal. I know it's one thing you want to try, but here's my rule for anal. It's a sensitive spot, so you don't get to stick your body part in another person's butt until you've had some sort of body part in your own butt. At least put a finger in there. You don't just go putting that in, but that's a whole other topic. We'll talk about that another day. And finally, like Jessica said, the other Jessica, stop believing everything you see on TV and in the movies. You know, um, I didn't watch television growing up and I couldn't, because I just couldn't sit still. And I swear that's one reason I like my body. I think that's maybe why 
I don't have my mindset on one way for marriage. I know that so many different types of relationships can work because I didn't have all of these messages from television telling me that there's one path to true love growing up. So maybe watch a little bit less or at least watch it more critically. Be able to, you know, use those media literacy skills. Stop buying into fairy tales. You can watch them. It's kind of like porn. Uh, you go ahead and watch porn, but don't use porn as your model of what sex should look like. Same thing for what we see on TV in terms of relationships. Soulmates don't exist. Destiny will always let you down. And all you've got is your own attitudes and actions. So make them count. Be a sexual growth believer and try and chip away at some of those sexual destiny beliefs. Now I gotta run because I went too long because I like to talk. Let me say thank you so much to my sponsor, Desire Resorts. Check them out on the Mayan Riviera and at sea next year, desire-experiences.com. It's adults only, couples only, clothing optional because wet bikinis are the worst. And an experience with them is, is honestly really a life changer. I'm going to be heading to sea on the Venice foreplay with Desire. So please check it out on my website and theirs. This is Sex with Dr. Jess. You will find me on all social media at Sex with Dr. Jess. Please share this podcast with your friends because sharing is caring. I will talk to you next week.